1: And if you disagree with anything we talk about, you are a racist and no better than Hitler. What? Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Electile Dysfunction Podcast with Ashton Cohen. I'm Ashton Cohen. I'm joined today by Matt Belinsky. Matt is an attorney, a startup investor, and the host of the Prevailing Narrative Podcast. Matt, thanks so much for being with me.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having
1: me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you came on my radar a couple months ago, a, uh, a friend of mine sent me over uh, some of your content. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know, you guys are both attorneys. You're in LA. You're both Jews, you know, a real mm-hmm. rarity. And yeah. uh, she's like, you know, you, you approach things in, in a very similar way. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, oh, I love this. Love this guy's content. And then a couple of days later, one of my best friends sent me the Twitter thread you had, which went viral mm-hmm. about the shit show that's uh, encompassing the LA Times right now. So I was like, I got to get this guy on. So I'm glad to have you on my pleasure and uh, thanks once again thanks for having me yeah that um so a little bit of background first you mentioned you grew up in LA when did you start diving into political commentary because that could be a little bit risky in LA if you don't have the uh, prevailing narrative sure um look, listen I- i'm a transactional
0: attorney first and foremost and like typically attorneys who are Commentators on public issues, a little typically litigators because they're litigating issues, right? But that that wasn't me. So, and you know, I've been um, in, in LA since you know I left for college. I came back once UCLA law school, and um, was more of an entertainment attorney right out of the gate. But then pivoted. You know, all the interesting stuff was going on with the tech world, so went more in that direction. And I mean, I come at it when someone says, "Hey, you're a political commentator," I was like, "Not really. That's really just one." sub, that's one subcategory, of the broader category of social commentary. And a lot of it's about just communication and speech, right? So also, if you're talking politics, you're also talking about how social media platforms work, right? Because that's where most of this, most of these conversations are occurring there and the impact of these platforms and how they operate. So there's some convergence between if you're interested in the online world, and you're interested in its impact on public affairs, those two converge. So I was definitely started commenting a little bit more uh, aggressively, maybe 2014, 15. Um, and I started realizing, um, forget, you know, I, I was very much through my 20s and early 30s, voted kind of Bill Clinton, slightly left of center Democrat, uh, disliked Bush and the Bush administration, and, you know, found uh, was able to, I saw Iraq, uh, the disaster Iraq was going to be well before a lot of other people saw it. And I couldn't believe that if other people didn't see it, it was going to be a disaster. So I, I rode that out for quite a while. Then, you know, mid 2010s, I'm like, wait a second, man. The quote-unquote liberal media that I thought a lot of conservatives and right wingers were making very lazy criticism of for a long time, I was like, oh wow, they're now as bad as they used to, as these right wingers were criticizing them for. They used to not be that bad. Mm-hmm. 2005, they were not that bad. Okay, mm-hmm. then as the digital media business model blew up, media and it just it, it the quality corroded. I'm like, wow, the the media is absolutely horrendous. They are indulging and, and uh, accelerating this strange racial and gender pathology that through, let's call it 2012, even to through that 2014, was really only a, a Fox News fever dream and very fringe in, in the liberal world. And that's why, you know, people, friends of mine that were conservative, how can you support this stuff? I'm like, I'm sorry, there's not that many people that support this stuff. This is fringe nonsense. These, you know, really uh, uh, mean-spirited, aggressive, and I think irrational uh, approaches towards gender and, and racial issues. And then I also kind of wake up and I'm like, wait a second, this seems to be gathering strength in institutions amongst the media. And the media is really dishonest. And then Donald Trump comes around and I don't you know I don't like him, but I understand where he's coming from. And a lot of his criticism of the media is very is very accurate. Like a lot of times when he's claiming fake news, it's because it was fake and because they're blatantly misrepresenting what people say, whether it's Donald Trump or anybody else. So I was commenting a lot on uh, it was a lot of media commentary, like, OK, here are the tricks that you see of how this media organization is lying to you or manipulating a, a narrative. And so, sure, that was kind of dangerous. And I think probably 2014 to 16, you know, and even maybe 2017, I think a lot of people are like oh, Matt, like, you know, a couple of things. You know, I think he's got a few uh, uh, on on target criticisms here and there, but, you know, I think a lot of it, he's exaggerating a lot of this. Over the course of time, 2017, 2018, 2019, I get a lot more people saying, hey, uh, uh, my bad. I was wrong. You were right. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of what you're seeing in terms of uh, media misrepresentation, clickbait, false narratives, things of that nature. Then that brings us up to the pandemic, where uh, uh, pretty much the entire world is now focusing on what information they're getting through the media and through social media channels. And my approach towards analyzing this stuff gathered a lot of steam and a lot of people started gravitating. I kind of went viral through a few posts and I probably, you know, doubled my social media following in about six weeks. Uh, prob- you know, I think I've x it since the beginning of the pandemic and just breaking down the pandemic news in terms of both the virus, the political commentary around it. A lot of people were like, okay, wait a second. Now, now I see what Matt's seeing. And I like the approach that he's taking to break me down. So that's probably, I, I was comment, you know, 2014, 15 to the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing it as a bit, bit just of a hobby. And then it became more of kind of a cohesive thing since then. And, you know, my, my following has
1: increased since then. When did you graduate from college? Uh, 2003. Okay. So, okay. So you're, you're a bit earlier than me. So, we actually have quite similar trajectories because I'm, so I'm 31. I graduated college in 2012. I graduated a bit early. But my first sort of foreign political opinions and my, my parents as well, we, we all sort of track the same evolution. I've seen a lot of people like this as well, where, you know, they're mm-hmm. immigrants. So we were sort of center left, you know, Bill Clinton, Democrats, and then the war mm-hmm. in Iraq breaks out. And it keeps going and it keeps going. And, and you're like, this is just insane. Like this, this yeah, thing. It really fabricated every right. predicate for this war right. directly to our face. And I'm not okay with that. Right. And, and there's trillions of dollars spent and, and soldiers lives lost unnecessarily oh, for, yeah. for a lie. And so well, I don't want that. That's just, that's just insane. So it's like, I, I guess I'm a Democrat. And then, oh. you know, I go to college and from basically 09 to 2012, Mm-hmm. And that's around the time where you see a lot of this racialism, this indoctrination, focusing on the most extreme fringe aspects of of racial and gender ideology. And it starts mm-hmm. in campus, but still hasn't really made its way into society yet. And yeah. and now, and then you're like, well, okay, well, this is insane. And then, you know, as a Jewish student, as somebody who was who's pro-Israel, you see the most just vicious attacks against the nation of israel against anybody who supports it. it just anti-semitism was allowed to go, go rampant
0: what was interesting uh, tell me if you agree with this the the hypersensitivity around uh, uh potential offenses or microaggressions to mm-hmm. every other group and then just jews being completely excluded from that right. and we are uh instead the the bar is raised for what would be considered offensive or right. or a slight against us just like, right. wait a second these things seem to be diverging and it's mm-hmm. not not
1: justified but the matter of the jews is always a very interesting one in history because the far left and the far right the only thing they they really converge on well there's a couple but the main thing is that they both hate the jews and it's it's very much like the whole stalin and hitler thing where you know hitler blamed them for being communists and then the communists blamed them for basically you know the 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 capitalism, right and so but then on the college campus only the, the left there are no fascists the only narratives are the left-wing ones and the far left ones sure. are allowed to basically have carte blanche do whatever they want so then jews are not you know they're not white to the people who whiteness counts for but mm-hmm. uh they're also not they're not, not a minority because they don't well, quite fit the box you see it a little bit with this affirmative sure. action case we're seeing with the with asian students being discriminated against
0: yeah well, mm-hmm. well it tracks back to intersectionality right in right. that you creating fixed um that you're instead of saying okay our identity group Is a relevant factor in who we are and how we order society, but it's not the prism through which we see everything. It's like, no, everything, the entire, the the primary prism, the first layer through which you should see the entire world is your identity category. And every interaction is a, a, it can be um, filed or calculated as a a power dynamic depending on your characteristics, what gender you are, sexual orientation, religion, whatnot. And that, this modality of thinking, which we literally, we spent, 30 to 40 years trying to get rid of it. We said, wait a second, we got to get rid of that. And while it won't be perfect, while we won't have a perfect society, the way for us to move the ball forward in terms of racial harmony a more fair and just society is to judge people first and foremost, not on demographic characteristics. It completely inverts that and says, no, it's t- we need to be centering everybody's identity and their experiences based on their demographic categories and judging everything that way. And then once that's the first step, and the second step is then we order everyone based on power. Right. So then when you look at Jews and this is how the, the view, the, the perspective from the left wing ideology that that is supportive of intersectionality is that the Jews are very successful. Thus, they don't get the benefit of it. Right. right. Israel is in the power position in comparison to its enemies. Uh, the Jews are, let's call it as seems to be the prison If we want to talk about the. Uh, recent issues around, you know, how the Jews are viewed in America about financial success and business success. So we don't get the benefit of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're white and we're successful and we're at the top uh, of the intersectionality power pyramid, and thus we need to sit up, sit down, shut up, and learn, mm-hmm. right? Is what they would tell us to do. Um,
1: so that that's essentially what was going on and what is still going right. on, right? And it's it's more sinister than just the traditional Marxist lens of viewing things because under this inter- intersectionality lens, like. Oprah and, you know, Cory Booker get more points than someone like me, even though, you know, one grew up as the child of IBM executives and Oprah's a billionaire. But the the, the class aspect is completely, re- well, it's not completely removed, but it's, it's ancillary to, you know, the, the most craven, disgusting racialist ideology where everything is yeah. seen through the prism of race. Do you think that... Do you, do you think that people like the ones who buy into this stuff are being used as useful idiots by more powerful individuals who would much rather have the lower classes and the middle sure. classes fight over just race and and disregard things that actually matter? Mm-hmm. I think that's one piece of it, but people that look ju- at it,
0: people who ascribe it just to some people orchestrating it behind the scenes to distract people from material concerns and economic concerns? That's overstating the case. I'm sure there's an elements of that, but no, these are true believers. These are true. These, these people have bought into an ideology, you know, particularly from, um, with, you know, uh, social desirability bias, because this makes you look like uh, a good, caring, decent, empathetic, um, person. And that's, that's how you want to portray yourself to society and this is how you signal it. That's the driving force here. And secondarily, it happens to be distracting from material concerns. And yes, um, once you you have to disregard and ignore so many materi- relevant material concerns for this inter- intersectionality power hierarchy to work, right? Mm-hmm. Um And so you are correct. Well, it, and it's strange, right? It's it is strange that those concerns overtook the material concerns, right? And it's created this strange dynamic where somehow the Republicans who were the Mitt Romney the poor to you know campaign in 2012 and i'm going to go you know uh uh the private my private equity company is going right. to go You know, take over your company and fire all the employees are now somehow becoming the party of the working class mm-hmm. i didn't see that I, I that was not the case in 2012 i didn't see it coming in 2012 yet that's what's happened um and so when you, when you talk about marxism and this I, I, always this always sticks with me um in that george w bush dipshit republican era of the 2000s i met a guy who was probably the only hardcore conservative right-winger in the LA tech world, a guy from Georgia, super religious. And he was at the time, like he was off the reservation. He was so concerned with, you know, these totally fringe left wing groups that had 15, you know, members and maybe like protested one day at UCLA had no, uh, had not captured any institutions and whose views were not reflected by anybody with any sort of power whatsoever. And he would use the term cultural Marxism. And I thought, Oh God, what another fucking like just Fox news blather. Right. And at the time it was like the idea of cultural Marxism being at all a force in the United States was not true. However, now it has taken hold, it has is, it is taken purchase quite aggressively, and that's a lot of what we're talking about, is that that power dynamic, much like Marxism, um, builds you know, kind of a fundamental precept of Marxism, is that um, everything is a power dynamic between the bourgeois and the capitalist class and the owners and the workers, and in every case, the worker has the moral imperative and the moral advantage simply by, by uh, definition of being part of that class, and you know, the capitalist was the bad guy. It's the same thing, except insert white male straight right. capitalist, and you build that hierarchy and that power dynamic that way. And I'm like, wow, it's weird because um, I look back on that guy. Believe it or not, he went a little insane. Precious. And back to Georgia, and the only remnants I can find of him on the internet are about him, you know, uh, accosting someone, one of his neighbors in you know rural Georgia, and getting arrested. So he he went off the reservation. But, but unfortunately, Not that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he was right about a couple things in him identifying cultural Marxism as a, as a reality, although at that time a reality with very thin penetration and now with very significant
1: penetration, he was right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the best encapsulations of it was the Canadian trucker protest, where the supposedly pro labor party is going down, and yeah. putting, right? But putting its foot on the necks of literally. I mean, truckers are the most blue collar of the blue collar. Like that's the first yeah. thing. You know, it's like it's like cops and firefighters, but like truckers literally control. You know, the entire economy cannot exist without these hardworking laborers, mm-hmm. and they became the enemies, right? And and that really goes to show you just like how far how much they've seeded the later versus position for these like fringe extreme those
0: views aren't fringe and extreme anymore yeah those that is the prevailing ethos
1: of the governing educated class yeah yes andrew sullivan said that we're all on campus now i think that's that's a pretty good way that was it and that was and this was where
0: this was where people who disagreed with me in 2015 all came back and i got to give you i told you so that they agreed with in 2000 even by 2018. They, in 2014, 15, I saw some absolutely batshit, terrible ideas taking hold and being things that people, that that conservatives accused the Barack Obama 2009 Democrats of being, that I never heard from Democrats at that time. I was like, well, what are you talking about? I, I don't hear this. It's not in the periodicals, not the magazines. I don't hear the politicians talking about it. I know a lot of Democrats, they don't say this. The stuff that they were fabricating that Fox News would just kind of fabricate, I was now hearing being spoken unironically. By a lot of people in a positions of power, okay, professors, people who ran newspapers, um, celebrities, like just the, the notion of white privilege. What a disgusting term to break down if someone's life circumstances and cast aspersions at them based on their their race and the color of their skin. I mean, when did you hear white privilege before two thousand thirteen? You didn't. No. Right, you didn't. Well, How much have you heard of it since then? A okay. lot, and you can you yeah. can actually
1: track this kind of stuff too. Basically, since the Occupy Wall Street protests, and you you could see the how many times racism has been mentioned in the New York Times. Oh, it skyrocketed! Right, it skyrocketed like that. Around that time was an exponential rise, and it's been the same. It's been sure. You know, rising I, the tough, re- the yeah. tough
0: thing describing causality is social media also kicked into high right. extreme right for that as well. So Definitely, I yeah. mean, and this is something like, I I'll admit, I don't have the answer I can. And, you know, have you have you heard the term the great Awakening? I mean, everything we're talking about in this period mm-hmm. was termed the great Awakening by Matt guess, right, right, right. who's mm-hmm. a liberal commentator, who sometimes is a very moderate, thoughtful liberal commentator and sometimes says the most ridiculous bullshit stuff. Mm-hmm. But he was very, very astute in identifying the great Awakening, which is this period. Um, and it's tough. Some people say, okay, it was Occupy Wall Street. That was the catalyst i don't buy that it, it but also I, i'm not entire I, I some of this stuff is so batshit i i can't find an explanation yeah. i can the, the yeah. idea that you can choose whether or not you're a man or a woman yeah, right yeah. It, it's sort of encouraging or people children. for
1: children yeah.
0: yeah the delusions are illusions of children who are yet to go through puberty and, and we're guiding them in the direction to disregard their fundamental biological nature it's this is batshit insane um but uh, good cases are made that it's social media with the the uh, with everybody having an online persona and everybody's be- reputation being at, at stake. That being able to pose yourself as empathetic mm-hmm. and as selfless and concerned with the downtrodden, much like capitalist, you know, capitalist worker, you know, power powerful demographic category, uh, oppressed uh, demographic category. That that was so powerful, and it allowed these. It allowed the fringe liberal view to bully everyone else into submission because no one wants to look bad.
1: Mm-hmm. No one wants
0: to look like no one wants to look like the callous and sensitive person.
1: Right. So, another thing you see, and this gets to the piece you wrote about the L.A. Times, is it's often the case that the elites in society are the most concerned about these fringe and niche issues and, and speaking about it incessantly. So, as you documented with the L.A. Times, so. For people don't know, the richest person in LA is this guy, Dr. Patrick Shun Xiong. And yeah. he purchased the LA Times. And his mm-hmm. daughter, who's like a uh, radical left-wing activist, yeah. which and we can we can talk about this too, interesting phenomenon. Like one of the only taxes I'm okay with is the inheritance tax for, for the super rich, because almost yeah. in every instance the trust fund babies are like the most radical socialists there are for some weird reason. Why do you think yeah. that is, by the way? <laughs>
0: Um, Well, listen, here's the thing. In my experiences, trust fund kids are either great people or terrible people. Mm -hmm. You don't get any in the middle. Right. Mm -hmm. Either they learned, absorbed every great lesson of a super successful parent who had high character and succeeded because of it. Right. Or there's people or they're a person who is either spoiled or so uh, or a combination of one. So uh, uh, so distant from any concerns or any true Um, challenges in life and guilty about that, that they attach themselves to toxic empathy to try to assuage their guilt and show that they're a good, caring person and not one of these, you know, uh, not one of these spoiled trust fund babies that they then, uh, they then, you know, uh, they they support or they they, they essentially try to propagate ideas that do not impact them, but impact all the rest of us. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think that's pretty good explanation. It's, I think it's Jordan Peterson who who mentioned how if you are the child of a super successful person, your two ways of competing are either by competing them directly in in, in business or trying to achieve success of your own, or by feigning that you're a more moral person, you're more and you're a more virtuous person. Right. And yeah, and really, it, it, there's also like this real selfish component of it too, where it's like, obviously, if you if you are the child of a super elite, super wealthy person, you have all these natural advantages. But then if you if you can just say some of these empty virtue signaling kinds of things, this, this uh, toxic virtue signaling rhetoric, then you also get to be a victim, right? So you get all the advantages of wealth, but none of the downside that, that could come yeah. with it.
0: Or, or like Nika soon who we're discussing, right. who uh, has uh, her own private security detail, but is making decisions for the rest of us and removing mm-hmm. law enforcement personnel from circulation and, you know, and putting us uh, more at, at risk and, and vulnerable to those who want to attack innocent people. Mm-hmm. And that's just but, the of reality.
1: So this is this is the daughter of, of the LA Times billionaire. Yeah. So she yeah. she basically advocates defunding the sheriff's department. And what's her impact? Yeah. Then, I mean, the LA Times isn't as significant as, as the New York Times uh, mm-hmm. or, or the Washington Post, but it, it obviously has you know like it's I think was it number th- it's in the top five in circulation I believe, and it still has the, the brand
0: still the news. most significant newspaper in the, in in LA because there's not really an alternative.
1: Yeah, right in California probably. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk to us a little bit about what you, you documented with this. Because okay. I think it's a really interesting story. So, yeah, this billionaire, he he puts his daughter in charge.
0: All right. So, Patrick Soon-Shiong is an Asian uh, uh, by way of South Africa. He was mm-hmm. born in South Africa as an Asian immigrant. Immigrated to the United States. Uh, became very successful, I believe, with cancer research and cancer drugs, worth probably seven or eight billion dollars depending on whether you count certain individuals who live here part-time as full-time residents he could be considered the richest guy in la uh, he came on my radar because he bought a piece of the lakers and he's been right. there's only like i think three or four there's the bus family philip Anschutz, and you know and and uh-huh. a part they show the staples center with and i'm pretty sure soon shang's the only other owner of there might be another very small minority owner. okay then he buys the la times i'm like all right this guy clearly wants to have, be, be a civic leader right he's bought the lakers and the la times i mean he wants to have an impact on this city um and then you know the la times takes a more liberal drift just like all other major you know uh, coastal newspapers have over the past five to ten years um but there's in la politics particularly there is a movement of youth hardcore socialists deep the police activists and more more associated with this organization called the democratic socialists of america Right. Remember when those two those two thousand uh, George Bush era Fox News uh, uh, conservatives would call everyone a socialist, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh God, stop calling right. everybody a socialist." These people actually are socialists. Okay, and this is a pretty significant movement amongst the youth in Los Angeles that believes in some pretty, if not pure socialism, socialism adjacent adjacent policies in terms of rent control. You can never raise. You can never raise rent. You can't evict anybody. Uh, we need to quote unquote address root causes, and that crime is. That, that more police do not stop crime, that really, if we took money from law enforcement to, to essentially give to people who were in harsh economic circumstances, they'd stop committing crime. Um, and the, this is the whole movement. And then, you know, I start noticing, oh, wow, he, Sun Xiang's daughter is friendly with all these people. She's part of that movement. And you start noticing that uh, uh, some of her pet causes are being championed in pieces at the LA Times. Then 2022 comes around, we have elections this year, She's got a, a friend. She's close friends with this guy, Kenneth Mejia, who's a total DSA, defund the police fucking moron, and he's young. He's 31, and yet somehow he won the primary and is probably going to win for controller of Los Angeles. He has no qualifications for this. He none, right? But he, he, you, he makes no bones about what he wants to do. He wants to cut police budget um, and redirect money and funds to God knows what program that uh, that Nika soon and these morons think, uh, oh, if we fund this program, all of a sudden, gangsters aren't going to want to rob anybody. All the, fu- all the shootings are going to you know, uh, magically disappear. Nobody's going to get mugged. Nobody's going to get carjacked. It's mm-hmm. Um And, you know, Kenneth Mejia is endorsed by the LA Times. Why? Why is the LA Times endorsing Kenneth Mejia, a 31-year-old with no track record, no qualifications, right? Because he's friends with the owner's daughter. And then you start looking closer and you can see that her fingerprints are all over the L.A. Times. OK, and not, you know, listen, uh, she's running the L.A. Times. Possibly not. Right. I, I doubt she has editorial control over every story. But then and I was trying to uh, appeal to uh, a trying to find a variety of political reporters who would do a story on this because people need to know. But Politico went ahead and did it for me. And they spoke with a lot of uh, reporters at the L.A. Times, even ones who were pretty liberal. They were saying, yeah, listen, like. We're liberal, but we're not this liberal. And we don't like the boss's daughter coming in and trying to throw her weight around. And she's clearly doing that. And there definitely is some internal controversy and strife about that. And so I took the Politico story and some other background on this and a little information about Mejia and some of the other people that, you know, Nika pals around with. And I put together a Twitter thread and it, you know, it it went viral and it it got a lot of exposure and hopefully woke a lot of people up to what's going on at the LA Times.
1: Yeah. And I I can probably guess what her position would be on Elon Musk taking over Twitter, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Billionaire. billionaire, Yeah. yeah. Billionaire.
0: Blah, blah, blah. Oh, how did I get any purchase or, or authority in life that my billionaire father gave it to me?
1: Right,
0: no one's right. listening to you. Nobody cares what you have to say, except yeah. that you have a okay?
1: So the thing about LA is that oftentimes it shapes California politics and California politics often makes its way into the democratic party platform and shapes the rest of the country. So it, it's a pretty interesting case to look at, and this brings me to the other thing I want to talk about. One of the stories that didn't get as much national attention as I thought it might was what recently happened with the LA city council. And so as a little background, in the last couple of years, we've had – there's 15 city council members in L.A. And Absolutely. you know LA, L.A. is obviously you know second biggest city in the United States, one of the wealthiest cities in the world, one of the most prominent cities in the world. And there's 15 city council members who control L.A. Three of them have either been indicted on bribery and corruption charges or are currently – their yeah. cases are ongoing and will be. And it <laughs> will be successfully prosecuted for them. And and then you had another three in a leaked recording. They were having like a behind, you know, a closed door conference. And they're saying the most vile, like racist stuff that, that the very kind of stuff in it, of course, these were these three individuals, these council members were, you know, social justice types. The kinds of people who call MAGA people racist and Trump racist um, and this, that, they're on the record saying that.
0: A little bit, but this is actually – is actually a little more complicated not quite – doesn't quite line up like that, but I'll tell you about it. Continue.
1: Okay, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Tell me where you disagree. So these individuals coming up, they managed to mm-hmm. offend every single racial group imaginable in the matter of, of a few minutes, right? They mm-hmm. – of them, the the president of the LA City Council, who's now stepped down, called a black child a monkey. They offended Asians. They offended, in particular, Koreans, Indigenous Mexicans. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's at Jews. I believe Armenians as well. I mean, it was literally like like you couldn't conceive of something like this. Is the kind of stuff that people will say that you know conservatives talk about behind the scenes. But this is you know very very council members speaking like this, and and I can't remember any politicians being caught saying something as vile in recent memory. And uh, so one of them sat down. The other two are, have so far – One of them already got voted out. One of them got voted out. OK. You're talking about De, De Leon? Uh, no. De
0: Leon sticking around. He's not going – He's sticking anywhere. around. Oh, yeah. so C- – uh, Gil Cedillo, Cedillo – got, got voted Cedillo out. Is, is already got voted out. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Gil Cedillo is about to be replaced by a police abolitionist. Right, right. Not defund the police abolish the police. Okay. So the police this is what i was
1: getting at let me just, let me just finish this thought because so you, you had these you had six of the <laughs> these 15 the last couple of years who are you know either corrupt or found saying some of the most racist shit imaginable and then mm-hmm. much of the other city council members are exactly what you say they're like the most radical left-wing types that you can imagine yeah fund abolish the police, abolish prisons, that kind of thing. And this is, again, this is LA. This is like the second yes. biggest city in the United uh, this, States. What? How how's is that impossible?
0: This is what I've been trying to wake people up to for a while, that the LA political class is the most worthless set of noobs, of uh, people with a low character that you could possibly imagine. And it's a miracle that it took this long for the city to start crumbling due to their incompetence. The fact that this city for about 20 years, let's call it the mid 90s through to through the mid 2010s was doing pretty well is a miracle because mm-hmm. this has been going on for a while. Okay, here's a reality that a lot of people don't everyone the, the terms people of color another term you didn't hear before 2013, mm-hmm. because lumping every person who's not white together is completely ridiculous, right? We so. all
1: read color people was bad, but people of colors is, is okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's hey, it's, <laughs> All white people are like this and all people who aren't white are like this. And that's just the dividing line. Ridiculous. Okay. um, Here's, sorry to break it to you. The black community and the Hispanic community in LA and particularly their leaders. um, I don't don't want to say they don't like each other because that's too broad. There's a lot of hostilities and a lot of, a lot of rivalries. And in the LA political class, the Hispanic politicians are representing the Hispanic community's interests and the black politicians are representing the black community's interests. And those come into conflict a lot. And that's what was expressed in these discussions and uh, you know here's the thing if you caught the african-american politicians talking amongst themselves you'd record them long enough they're going to say some pretty not nice things about this Hispanics too this right. is just I would, yeah. um and the la city government is a spoil system that's what we have all these taxes a, a massive budget and it's really it is allocating and directing resources based on you know and one of Aside from a couple, you know, I also the most vile. They made a few a few racist remarks, which are certainly unexcusable. Um, but beyond that, there was a lot of the conversation was about, hey, we need to redis- we reshape this district so that, for instance, LAX falls within your district. Because LA, you control LAX, you control a ton of contracts and money that are directed towards LAX, and who gets to fulfill those contracts? So you get to direct the money to your buddies. That's what happens in LA. And this to a certain extent happens in uh, in in you know all city politics but I think now people are seeing that the incompetence and corruption in LA is is demonstrably worse than your average city and it's something that that we cannot allow to continue. Um so that's what you saw and the unfortunate part is yes Kevin DeLeon Nuri Martinez and uh, and Gil Sidio were more liberal. They're gonna say some bad things about conservatives, but they're at the end of the day, somewhat rational people in how, how they operate as politicians and that they they do care about public safety. Kevin DeLeon, I think, has been terrible on 20 issues and on public safety has been pretty good, similarly with Nuri Martinez, um, but she stepped down now. And this was not, it, 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 this was not, Republicans aren't the one who released who released these tapes. This was okay. these tapes were recorded and released by DSA candidates, including right, Hugo Soto Martinez, who's running for city council and may win against a white guy named Mitcho Farrell, who's the current city councilman in the you know eastern district, Silver Lake, you know Los Feliz, et cetera, et cetera. And Mitcho Farrell's great, great crime was he actually cleaned out the Silver Lake homeless encampment. Mm. You had every at- at- yeah, what what an asshole that he decided to um, clean out one of the most grotesque uh, uh, you know badges of squalor when when he cleaned that out. They, uh, local news interviewed an African-American blue-collar worker who cried. He was so happy because when he walked his daughter home from school past the encampment, didn't have to see naked, naked junkies any longer. Right. That was Mitchell Farrell's great crime—that he did this. But these sick, disgusting activists and DSA types—they think that that's a fa- that's fascist imposition on people, the downtrodden, and that the, the civil liberties of the home of, of the homeless population to do whatever they want in unregulated public spaces trumps all of that. That mm-hmm. um, too tried to take down Kevin DeLeon and is trying to take took down Mary Martinez. So um, that's the dynamic at play. We have the most disgusting people on earth. Trying to take down heavily flawed people who are certainly more
1: corrupt and incompetent than should be running the city, right? And you know, for people who are watch us outside, like LA, on a day to day, the kinds of people you meet, whether you know, overwhelmingly Democrat, but they're not—they're not that crazy, right? A lot lot of them are rational. None of them want the homeless issue. None of them want the situation where you can't walk home alone, right? They don't. They don't do
0: the work. Mm -hmm. They don't. They're lazy la voters are in the position they're in because they're lazy and they don't do the research about who they're voting for that's how george gascon got elected that's why we're in the position that we're in right now they hear bullshit and they just go with it they hear george gascon in 2020 i'm the reform candidate i'm gonna this Mm -hmm. this unfair uh, aspect of the criminal justice system now, and I'm going to reform it. Sounds great. Nobody actually looks at what that looks like. That means not prosecuting crime and uh, deprioritizing public safety uh, at the expense of prioritizing giving, by, uh, accepting a level of risk from violent criminals because that's a more fair and just system, and because it's punitive to lock somebody up. Okay, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. And they don't similarly with Karen. They they still think that these people who peddle these these Stuff that sounds good right off the bat without doing any analysis to peel back the layers. That that's it. That's how we're in the position that we're in. Um, everyone's always shocked, you know. Uh, oh, I, it, the Gascon thing is such a perfect example because oh, I, well, ha, had I known that he was going to do A, B, and C, I wouldn't have voted for him. It was no, that he said he was going to do this, and you just didn't pay attention.
1: Yeah, and th- this is an individual who doesn't allow sexual assault victims to be present or their attorneys present when they're rapists so no,
0: no, no. he he, he, removed, he removed all uh, all district attorney uh, district attorney's office representatives from all um, not bail uh, parole all, all parole
1: right? right right
0: the people of the, the people of, uh, of Los yeah, Angeles absolutely. the mm-hmm. victims do not have a representative at the parole hearing no matter what and you right. want to know why because he believes that it is purely immoral and the society should not jail a person for life he believes there's no crime no right. crime. Rape, skullfuck, murder, a seven, an 82 year old grandmother. You mm-hmm. you deserve to do 20 years and then you get another chance. No. Okay. He, not, he
1: has a different belief system for and values. years, skills. you really have to fuck up for him to give you 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and smaller yeah. crimes that, you know, the, the smaller crimes that impact public
0: order, that are bad people, that are people uh, uh, breaking the social contract to harm and impose themselves on other people in small ways, he believes we cannot incarcerate people for that. That incarceration is simply too significant is too significant a penalty
1: do you think i mean how bad do you think that it has to get before and this is this is obviously phenomenon in san francisco although they actually recalled their their insane
0: yeah
1: attorney yeah.
0: everyone says Oh, these things are rigged there's no way that these recalls work well san francisco recalled their da so don't give me that yeah if san francisco can do it then you know listen i, I have my thoughts on and as a, there's a legal case right now on the gascon Recall where it might turn out that they fudge the numbers, and we might be able to get a court here, a court order to get a recall election. So let's see. Um, but anyone who's saying, "Oh, it's all worthless, defeatist, don't waste your time with recalls," San Francisco recalled their DA, and they got they they removed a psychopath and inserted a relatively
1: average, fairly average, good enough district attorney. Yeah, in the place. yeah within the within the realm of, of normalcy. So how how bad do you think it has to get before? People actually embrace normal candidates again because this is not – this is so far removed from the Democratic yeah. Party that we've been used to, that we've seen that we had in the 90s, for example. It's not a labor party. It's, it, it's a human sort of degeneracy, anarchy in the streets, mad max Yeah, party. yeah it's a,
0: a smarter man than me. Uh, described it as glorifying dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So we're going to test this out because – we thought that it did get bad enough, right? I mean, in terms of the pandemic conditions in 2021, and crime has not been as bad in 2022, and for a couple different reasons. One, for there were a lot of high-profile crimes in Beverly Hills in 2021; um, those decreased in 2022. We want to know why Beverly Hills has its own jurisdiction and its right. own police department, and was able to hire like double their police force by hiring private security in the bat of an eyelash. All of a sudden, no more carjackings on Beverly Drive. Um, so it's also, oh, yeah. it's
1: also probably like the least liberal place in, in the, in the entire area of LA, sure.
0: right? Sure. But, but like the whole yeah. idea that more cops don't create a safer environment, right. I was like, oh, uh, Beverly Hills had its worst crime wave in the history of the city. More, more carjackings, more, more muggings. Um, just a, an environment you'd never seen in Beverly Hills and Beverly Hills just went and all, uh, all of a sudden you see all, all these vans I think they say NatSec private security driving around. All of a sudden, no more carjackings in Beverly Hills. So don't give me this shit about more costs don't not make a safer environment.
1: Do you think that Biden runs 2024? Oh, absolutely.
0: This yep. is another thing that I, I like I don't get what be... Why do people think that people in power voluntarily give up power? They don't. Okay? And this whole joke Joe Biden's a puppet, a puppet for who? What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. No. Joe Biden defied a lot of people and stuck to one particular approach and beat a bunch of Democrats in the primaries. And like his he, he thinks he won for, because of his strategy. Right. Despite him being, right? So pa- the most powerful person in the world is not going to voluntarily give up power. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody else in the Democratic Party who's powerful enough to take it. Like, if yep. he's not, good, if he, he unless he has a stroke or dies, he's running.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And do you think Trump gets the 2024 nomination?
0: No, I think DeSantis does, but Trump does enough damage in the, in the meantime to hurt DeSantis enough that he
1: might not win. That's that's going to be the most interesting thing is to see if DeSantis actually uh, challenges him because he will, Trump is a wrecking ball and Ramikaze. he will yeah he'll he'll bring down any any person with him even if DeSantis survives it which I hope he does it, could, it, it can it be rough but if if he gets in general then you know he, he's running against somebody who's another two years more to range than he is right now. Yeah. and right now it's looking god-awful
0: hey we'll, we'll we'll learn a lot this week uh we'll know you know by a a week from today we're going to know a lot more um so we'll see it's not looking good for joe biden and it is looking good that i mean ron desantis fucking, dude people are putting money towards desantis mm-hmm. man i mean mm-hmm. he has a, a massive war chest um and yeah I run into a lot of people in L.A. who have a completely unjustified, irrational distaste for DeSantis that, you know, the same people who hate Trump. And I'm like, okay, I understand. I, I, don't, I don't fully agree. I don't hate him as much as you do, but I get it. And then I'm like, guys, you're just, no, sorry. You're, you're completely off, uh, mm-hmm. off the reservation on DeSantis. Um, I doubt he has as many haters in the states that matter, like Georgia, Arizona, Ohio. Right. I think like DeSantis probably is well-liked enough in those States that like you go throw a DeSantis debate up against Joe Biden and this election's over very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know, man, I feel like Trump is going to be such Trump is going, is going to be such a petulant child in not being grace, gracious that he's lost to DeSantis, just like he wasn't gracious that he lost in 2020. And it could be, it's, it's a, it's chaos it's yeah
1: and and which you mentioned i mean it's a, it's a difficult calculation for desantis because he can either sit this one out and avoid the trump wrecking ball and he mm-hmm. you know presumably will still be sort of the, the standard bear the next in line or he can dive sure. in and, and go against this you know get cam- kamikaze as you say sure sure
0: yeah that is that's a for, uh, that's a decision he's gonna have to yeah. make
1: so let, let's finish off here what gives you what is the thing that you're most hopeful about? What's the thing that gives you most worry?
0: Um, I mean, what gives me most worry is is this detachment from some really tried and true principles. Um, let's call it like classical liberalism, right? The judge people by the character, uh, uh, prioritize free speech, um, try to, you know, those principles that were like, the types of things that probably appeal to me and you about, you know, center left Democrats from like 1970 to 2012. Right. And that so few institutions now seem to reflect those values. That gives me a ton of concern that that there's a certain like logical grounding and a few principles that I think we all decided like were good things. And now you have a pretty significant section, you know, cross-section of society, including a lot of people who control institutions who don't believe in that anymore. That's, that's what concerns me. Um, what gives me hope, um, I can't say I'm a blockchain utopian that, you know, there, I, I run into some people um, who are pro crypto, pro blockchain that think that it's just going to create this, uh, liber- pseudo libertarian utopia with everybody free, uh, you know, of any sort of central authority. I, I don't quite believe that, but I still am pretty excited about the blockchain and, and where it can, what it can create in a lot of realms of society, um, that one, and then two, Sure, there's some light, there, there's some bright spots now that some people seem to be waking up, um, who I think were, were way too cavalier in brushing aside some of this poison that's entered, that's, that's contaminated the, the soul of the nation. And it's now like, listen, I- I'm going to be willing to get yelled at by a few idiots on social media to stand up for common sense
1: and rationality. Right. And so, to be able to walk um, home at night <laughs> yeah, without fearing for your life. Is, and you know, the the, the blockchain stuff we, we talk a lot about, we, we have quite a few speakers on that here, uh, mostly in the Bitcoin space. I agree. The decentralization, awesome. the the sorts of things that's, that it's going to be enable, censorship, resistance, limiting the power of government over people's lives. And by the way, it's also kind of Trojan horse for a lot of the values that are essential for our society. That I think it's a wonderful development coming forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Matt, uh, thanks so much for for coming on. It was a really fascinating discussion. Absolutely. The Prevailing Narrative podcast, where can people find um, more of
0: your work? Yeah, so primarily on Twitter and Instagram, uh, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y, Prevailing Narrative um, every or every other Thursday, depending on the week, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc., And, um, yeah, really appreciate you having
1: me on. Appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you. If you enjoyed our show, please click subscribe to stay up to date with our YouTube channel and podcast. And give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can keep delivering guys some great content. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week.